Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Bowie, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering. What a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Good morning. Welcome to the Maximum Mom podcast. Today, I have Corinne Heggie with me, and I cannot wait to dive in and talk to her about all the things. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Elise. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so glad to have you. I always want to start out just so we can get it on the table, and especially since you and I talked about it a little already. Tell us a little bit about what makes you a mom. Like, Who is your family at home? Sure. So I am the proud mother of three boys, and I'm married to my husband, John, who also happens to be my law partner. And my family, beyond our nuclear group of five, I'm lucky enough to live in the area close to where I grew up and have some of my siblings in the area too. So I'm one of five siblings, and I'm lucky enough to have four of them in a close distance to me. And my youngest sister is in Dallas, and thanks to technology, she's never far away. That's amazing that there's four of you there. Are your parents still in the area? Are they still living? My parents are still living and they're also in the area. That's amazing. What an amazing opportunity for you, your husband and your children. I mean, to have that kind of family around. It's really a blessing because they get to know their grandparents and get to know their cousins and their aunts and uncles in a really kind of unique way because of the opportunities we have to be with each other often. So you get to know them in a much more kind of robust way than if we were spread out. Oh, I just think that's amazing. I mean, we really hope for that. You know, I have no idea if it'll work out. We have six children between us. And the thought of being able to have cousins together and have those relationships that can last and be strong because they're based on real contact. That's something that would be really important to our family as well. And we love having all the young adult kids come together. And so I just think that's amazing for your family. It is. It's really, we're very lucky. It's truly a blessing. Well, I have to just put out there since we were talking about boys, we both have three boys. And so we were discussing football and the (laughs) The joys of football and swimming, which interestingly, both of our boys, mine are older, Corinne's are right in the middle of this dealing with it now, but being able to do both those sports. And I have such positive, warm feelings about football for young boys. And I know there's a lot of health concerns and people worry about, you know, the head injury possibilities and all of the things related to that. But I mean, football brings such a structure to boys. I would love to hear your take on how you have managed some of the, I mean, cause there's a big juggle of getting kids to these practices. They're long, they're intense. I mean, what has been your experience navigating football as well as swimming with your boys? Well, you know, it takes, I'm really lucky to have a true partner in my husband. So we do a lot of tag teaming and I think with the boys, it's with school and when school's in session, it's just you have to get your homework done or completed as best you can. So we're just tackling right. loose ends right after practice. And, you know, you've, there's a lot of equipment with football. So I think it's an added bonus, at least with football, is trying to empower the kids. OK, you have to get your pads, your mouth guard, you know, your water bottle ready so we can be football ready and walking out the door at X time. And, you know, at least in our house right now, the boys are energized by it. They like it. There's never complaining about it. So 
Right. They'll deliver, you know, they, they know what their deliverables are and they will take care of it. And the same with swimming. I mean, it's during the school year is really the tough part just because you want to make sure they've gotten the homeworkers, much of it done. So you're just after practices and dinner, batting cleanup. (laughs) Yeah. For us, football was interesting because it was right after school, especially high school ball. They stayed sure. right after school and often till about six or six thirty. So there was no getting their homework done before, which was always interesting, you know, because they would come home and, you know, after a long day of school, three hours of football and dinner, homework is not the easiest thing to pull off then. And so there were definitely some discussions around time management. And I had some children who were like super good at getting up early and doing homework. They preferred to wake up before school and get it done and go to bed earlier. Whereas others were like, oh no, I'm staying up. And, you know, so it was interesting. I found that whole juggling the extracurricular and homework to be a real thing, you know, trying to kind of maximize what worked best for each child. Right. I think we're going to have to get nimble there too, Elise, because I don't have anyone in high school yet. So we still have people coming home, right? you know, some time before practice starts. So that'll be a new frontier for us next year. (laughs) But it sounds like you are so on your way to success. The fact that you have a partner who not only is your law partner, so who completely understands your work and yeah. that whole arena, but who is truly a partner in your home. I mean, I just think you are heads above what so many people have. And it is game changing to really be able to share this experience with a true partner. Don't you think? I couldn't agree with you more, Elise. Absolutely. I mean, you've hit the nail right on the head. Yeah, it just makes all the difference. And I don't know if you've ever read, I mean, I literally should become the marketing director for Eve Rodsky's book, Fair Play, but it sounds like you probably wouldn't even need to read it. Like you all have it down pat, but it is such a good read for couples to help them understand how to truly share and be true partners. Because I think so many couples find themselves in that situation where The woman, and it's usually the woman, I don't mean to be stereotypical, but it's realistic. The woman is often delegating what needs to be done. So she has thought about it all, planned it all, paid for it all, you know, signed up for it all, filled out a million emails, bought equipment, done whatever. Whereas if you can actually divide the tasks in such a way where you're focused on ownership, it is game changing for families. I mean, I have seen families be able to revolutionize how they divvy up tasks by using Eve's game and book. She has a card game that really is just helpful just to pull a card and talk about it and really think about all the tasks that lead up to a football practice. And I know, you know, I mean, it doesn't, you don't just show up for practice. No, no, there's a runway. (laughs) Definitely. There is a runway. I love that term. It's so true. And boy, is it long on something. (laughs) Yeah. And kind of bumpy. Well, tell us about your practice. And I want to know more about you and your husband's practice working together. I've always been intrigued by married partners. Yeah, so we um, have a practice where, you know, we're just north of Chicago and our job or the main focus of our work is protecting families, individuals and business owners from court battles, asset loss and taxes with wills, trusts, 
powers of attorney. And then if if someone has to go to court because a beneficiary wasn't named and a judge will decide to whom property will be distributed, we can go to probate court too. Okay. So you have a very comprehensive practice, estate planning practice, or I mean, what would you call it? Yeah, I would say estate planning is what, how I would describe it to other lawyers. Right. Okay, cool. And how long have you all been in practice? The firm has been in existence for 40 years, and we were lucky enough to be the succession plan for the founder. And so we've been here at the helm for, I think, about closing in on five years. Wow, good for you. That's awesome. How many other team members do you have in your firm besides you and your husband? We have one other lawyer, and then we have a great team member, Mallory, who helps us in the office with really everything. Right. <laughs> Mallory's like the go-to person huh, for all. Right. She sits at the center of everything and I, you know, runs air traffic control. <laughs> She's handling that runway. Yes. Yes. And telling That's people, awesome. clients, vendors, everyone when they can come in, John and myself, when we can come in, when we can come off. <laughs> I love that. Everybody needs a Mallory. I mean, I always joke like I needed an Alice in our Brady bunch of six and, but your Mallory sounds pretty impressive. Oh, she is. She is. I only wish we could have, we were really lucky when the kids were growing up to have worked with two women who helped us over the span of 11 years. So it's, it really, I mean, it's game changing when you've got support to help you do what you need to do at home and in the office. Absolutely. Well, what are some of the things you have learned? Like if you were to give advice to somebody, you know, who's maybe earlier on in their path than you are, I mean, what are some of those things you've learned about how to juggle this trifecta that we juggle of being, you know, lawyers, moms, law firm owners? I mean, there's a lot going on in those three roles. And when you put them all together, I mean, there's days that I marvel that we're able to get anything done. I mean, what are some of your tips that you've learned along the way? Sure. Well, I would think one just kind of overarching tip is that, you know, your career and your life and wherever they find themselves in the middle of that Venn diagram converging, it's a jungle gym, you know, and you're going to take some step steps forward, maybe a step or two back, take some steps sideways before you take 10 steps forward. And to just know that it's a jungle gym, it doesn't have to be a linear path. That's always on an upward trajectory. Oh gosh. You really, I think that is so, so important for people to hear that it's okay that it's a jungle gym and that it's expected to be a jungle gym. And sometimes you might be on a straight downward trajectory. I mean, when you're, you know, you want to flip on your gym, you could be upside down at times and that that's okay. That's part of the jungle gym and you're going to flip it back around at some point. Exactly. Yeah. Gosh, I've never thought of it like that. What an amazing visual to think about it as a jungle gym, because it truly is. And I feel like, and I wonder how you feel about this. People often look to others who might be further along. And I feel this, sometimes people will be like, well, Elise, why do you do this? Or how can you do this? I'm like, mine are young adults now. (laughs) I'm not, you know, dealing with little bitty kids and things like that. And I think that we have to be so careful not to compare ourselves to somebody who's in a completely different cycle of life. Right. I mean, you have to 
Exactly. It's where you are, where you are in your career, where you are in terms of the lifespan or where your family is and just taking it where it is measured for you and your family and your, and your business or your career, which is hard to do. It is. Oh, I think it's so hard to do in today's world. And especially with the pandemic. I mean, we, I think all spent more and more time like on social media and, you know, social media, we could have a whole conversation about that, you know, and how, I mean, there are so many days I want to just put on social media, like the true shit that's going on. I want to say like, I burned dinner. I don't feel like doing my work. (laughs) You know, like my dog pooed on my carpet and I lost my cat. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Like, and people would think I was crazy though, if I did that, but I just feel like there's so much lacking in what gets put out there and what people are very often falsely comparing themselves to. No, agreed. And I, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you probably had to do this too, Elise, when your children were a little bit younger, but I mean, you've got a parent through social media too, and trying to coach them in something that, you know, I didn't grow up with. Right. But you've got to, I mean, and I think that would just kind of morph into another tip I've learned is you've got to give yourself grace because yeah. you, you got to be kind and, and, and good to yourself and give yourself a break every once in a while. I think women are very hard. I think a lot of people, most people are hard on themselves. I think a lot of lawyers are hard on themselves. I, um, I think it's just much more acute for women attorneys. And you have to, and I, I can't tell you that I've had to, this is something I have to remind myself of. Right. And I've, you know, and it's not easy, but you you do, you're human. <laughs> and and the day will, you know, the, the day will come, you know, night will turn into day and the next the sun will rise. Right. And every problem is solvable, but you just, you can't beat yourself up. I mean, I would love to explore with you. I mean, because I think it is so important to have that grace. I mean, how does grace show up for you? I know for me, my version of grace is I have to shut down my mean girl. I call her Eloise. And so I have sometimes have to silence her. I'll be like, Eloise, you are in timeout. So you need to be quiet because she'll be in there in my head talking ugly and just really being very damaging. I mean, how do you give yourself grace? I mean, you just have to, it's not easy. Right. Got to just remove yourself from the situation. Usually with me, it's like going to walk and whether it's a long walk or a short walk, it could just be outside down the driveway, right. taking a beat and then coming back or walking my par- the parking lot in, in our office right. and just trying to really talk yourself back to like a, a status quo or to zero. I guess a little bit like you telling that evil voice to just knock it off. Right. I mean, it's, it's a psychological, I feel it, you know, there's a physical component, I guess for me, because I usually do have to walk away from something and physically remove myself from the place where the noise is being made, Mm -hmm. even if it's shortly, and then just get yourself back to, you know, square one. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting. And I don't do that. I am not a walk away type. But I could see where that could be really beneficial. I actually am going to think about that because sometimes I think just the the act of getting up, getting in a new environment, breathing fresh air, 
I mean, that can be very helpful in just turning your mind and being able to restructure how you're looking at a problem. Yeah. And I, I got the physical piece. I mean, this is like maybe eight, eight years ago, 10 years ago, because when I would have an issue, I'm like, okay, I got to get into the computer. I got to get into the file. I got to find, what did I do? Go through all the emails, start wanting to immediately triage. Mm -hmm. And it might not have even been a problem, but the perceived issue or the perceived question or the perceived you know, next step. And then I would be tense and I'm over the computer and I'm sure my brow is knitted. Right. And so I was like, okay, I have to, I got to step out. I have to take a pause here. Right. And so that's how I came to that. But that was only because, I mean, after being physically having the stress manifest itself, not only psychologically and mentally, but physically, I mean, I, it would take forever to get unwound. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, I need to, so there's a physical component to, for me. And so being able to step up and walk away is helpful. Well, yeah, because you're really kind of counteracting that physical manifestation of all that stress before it even gets to that point, you know, right. you're kind of stopping yourself from getting all wound up. Well, that brings me back to when, like we mentioned before about law school, when we were talking before, we need to teach these things. I mean, there is so much that law school is missing. I mean, just huge amounts. And I think teaching how to practice self-care and how to handle the stress of our work would be so beneficial because I think practicing law, obviously I don't know statistically. I mean, I know there's many other professions clearly that are very stressful as well. And so I don't mean to say that the law is unique in that, but I mean, the law I do think is very stressful if we were to look at professions and we just don't get lessons on how to handle it. And I think when you add in the mother piece the law firm ownership and the the leadership that's required, oftentimes we don't have education in that either. I mean, what was your experience coming out of school? Like as you did this succession plan, took over this firm, I mean, what leadership training did you have? What kind of things were there or have you been learning on your own? Like I know many of us have had to do. Yeah. So, I mean, I there's a lot of things I learned in law school and then there's a lot of things I didn't, but I I think I learned a lot from practicing first at a larger law firm first as an associate, then as a partner. I mean, you learn a lot there just about management and deliverables and how to kind of energize people who are coming up behind you. If you want to free up your time so you can get clients and, you know, and I, I was lucky when I was at a large law firm, I was selected by the management committee to serve as a fellow for the firm at Leadership Council for Legal Diversity, which was really, it's a one-year program. The, the group is still in existence, wow. putting you know leaders from, or to-be leaders from law firms with to-be leaders from legal to corporate legal departments. And I learned a lot in that one year that I'm very fortunate to have had that experience. I learned a lot about leadership and how to energize people, not necessarily when a client's involved through bar association work. Mm -hmm. And I was the president of the Women's Bar Association of Illinois in 2019-2020 for a year long term. And that was really helpful when I was in the positions leading up to stewarding the organization for that year. And then a lot of it I found, and I, I don't mean to be flip, is things that you learned when you were little. I mean, check your gut, really be kind to everyone. 
And and maybe no means no for just right now. It's not no forever, which has been really helpful for me in terms of, you know, clients, building clients and and building a book of business because, you know, it's a different skill to go out there and be the one who's the face of, you know, the firm or or the company, wherever you are to try and get business and make those asks. And knowing that no is just no for right now, really, at least for me, helped bring the the barrier much lower and just being able to do it and knowing that, you know, I'm going to get, and I do, I mean, it's not like I get yes, my entire life for anything. I mean, (laughs) no, for sure. But it's been helpful in the business development world. And, you know, I try to read, try to read books and I'm, I'm really lucky too, that I, there's a lot of perspective that my law partner and my husband brings to it too, that from his experiences that aren't necessarily similar to mine. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. Well, I love hearing about your work with the Bar Association. I can't imagine what that was like for you during the pandemic. I mean, that must have been a fascinating presidential year between 2019 and 2020. Yeah, it definitely took a twist. The bar year, or at least it seems to be in the Northern Illinois kind of bar association community, the bar leadership years are usually May to May or June to June. So it's a little bit off cycle. So I was fortunate enough to have a lot of the the programming or the deliverables that I had on the calendar take place before the pandemic changed the narrative. So I was fortunate in that regard. And then I had a great board. There is still a great board. I'm no longer on it. So we were really able to pivot and get the final meetings taken care of, close the budget, and then, which was a big lift to get the, the next year's election for the next for the next officer role and the board of directors role taking care of in a virtual setting, which was a total group effort and would not have been a, I mean, if I hadn't, if the group of leadership that year hadn't been so committed to doing it, we would never have been able to do it. So, but that was, I had a, you know, so the, the pandemic kind of, I was on the tail end of it only right. by virtue of the way that I happened to have the calendar worked with the executive director and the board to have the calendar planned that year. So, um, wow. Yeah. But it's, you get a lot of access and you meet a lot of other bar association leaders and leaders in the state. And it was funny when, after the pandemic kind of gripped the whole country by the end of March that year, it was really, I will look back fondly on the conversations I had with other bar leaders. What are you doing? How are you doing? How are your groups? How can we support each other? Right. You know, what are you doing about your elections? You have so many more members than we do, or you we don't have nearly as many as you do. Do you have any pointers? It was really a true collegiality and a, just a generosity of knowledge and spirit that we were all able to kind of share with one another and kind of um, 
pluck in a good way from each other's experience (laughs) to help our organizations, you know, continue to move forward as best we could in that March, April, May, June, the first couple of months of the pandemic. That's amazing. I love that to hear about, you know, collegial kind of collaboration. I feel like that is something that a lot of times feels missing when we're practicing law day to day in the trenches. You know, I I know at least in our practice area of family law, there are times that I'm like, whoa, did everybody wake up angry today? And, you know, people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of humanity that sometimes is you feel is has kind of dropped off. Absolutely. Uh, off the screen when you're doing some of this work. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure you did and I did. I know I did. Try and pick up the phone. Even if someone's like, you know, this isn't a great time. I'm like, okay, you know, let's just maybe we've had a couple of emails. Let's see if maybe five minutes can can help us get maybe not to total agreement or but at least maybe take five of the 10 issues off the table. So we're only looking at five. Exactly. Well, and sometimes just taking that edge off the perceived conflict can be the only thing that is gained from such a phone call. But wow, can that help moving forward when I find sometimes people forget to assume that we're working with good intentions on both sides, you know? Right. No, and it's, and you have to remind yourself. I mean, I think two weeks ago we got, I got a letter, I don't know, on something and the tone was like, okay, all right, this is, I don't know. It was a noteworthy tone. I'll just leave it at that. And I, you know, did have to forward it to the client and the client got hot under the collar. And I said, you know what, I'm going to call. I'm just going to say, now, listen, I haven't talked to the person who wrote this letter, but I think everyone is just trying to move the ball forward. And let's just think that we're all coming from that same place. Exactly. And I know I'm going to have that frame of mind when I place the phone call. And I just want you to, I want to encourage you to kind of maybe come around to that frame of mind. It doesn't have to be right now. Right. Say whatever you want to me, but, but it's hard. (laughs) Oh, it's really hard. I mean, I know in our family law practice, like you, you know, I have to send these things on to a client. And oftentimes when I'm getting something from a lawyer, that's really nasty or disrespectful in a way, and then I'm sending it on to my client, I have to preface everything to the client with, this is not how you should resolve conflict. This would not be the kind of communication I've been trying to teach you, you know, to work with your ex on. And so it's very counterproductive because I find as attorneys, we're in the best place to model respectful conflict resolution. And when we're not doing that, I mean, at least in the family law arena, I really feel very bad and complicit almost in the problem when we're sending those things on to our clients, because I feel like we're just not helping them as they're moving forward through what can be the most important conflict they've probably ever dealt with and learning to handle it respectfully and with proper boundaries is going to be game changing for their families moving forward and not creating hostile conflict is, you know, one of my highest goals. And so, yeah, I find those conversations with lawyers, you know, I, those are interesting because I often will say like, you just sent a nasty gram and that's not helpful to the families we're working with. Like, how can we do this better? You know, where we're modeling what we want to see in them, not the reverse. Right. I mean, it's a constant, 
And then I have to remind myself too. And then you've got to remind clients because you're going to get more resolved when you can, you know, have your reaction. I'm not saying people have to check their emotions at the door. I, you know, I think that's also part of the process in some of the work we do. Certainly when someone's no longer here and we're, you know, distributing assets and the contours there, but um, yeah, yeah, it's, you've got to remind them and you've got a conflict resolution can be done respectfully and courteously. Yeah. Well, it's such an important thing. I think even it's interesting. I think of it in our homes with our families and then it gets carried over into other places, our work and just out in general. And I mean, I find that sometimes in our homes and I know in my home, I mean, I've struggled with this and I've watched my children struggle with it. And I mean, I try to bring it up where even if they're talking to each other in kind of a crass, you know, like move over or hand me this. I'm like, you know, we need to treat each other differently. Like we need to say, please, we need to say thank you. And we need to think about our tones because it's so easy, I think, to fall in a habit of not being courteous. And that is a slippery slope, I think. And it's not one that I want to be on. I mean, I try really hard to not be on that slope of discourteousness and not really showing gratitude and appreciation and kindness to the people that I'm closest to who I'm around all the time. And I know raising kids, there are many times that was very hard, very, very, very hard. No, it is. It is. I mean, I can't tell you yesterday alone on a Sunday, I was like, can we just all check our tone? Right. I mean, I just don't, the tone here. What do you mean? I didn't mean it that way. I'm like, well, your tone says otherwise. I mean that, and I'm not saying we have to all have a loving embrace around (laughs) getting our things ready for tomorrow, but we don't have to, we don't have to be snarky about it. Exactly. We can just be matter of fact, it's Sunday night. We don't have to, you know, it's not Friday night, but it's not easy. Certainly not easy when you're trying to model and, and, you know, and teach children, but they're a good reminder. Oh, (laughs) I found my children were the most humbling, like people around me to help me see my, the errors of my ways and my many, many faults (laughs) I often have to thank them or think about them when I'm struggling with something. And I'm like, uh, this would be what they were talking about. <laughs> like, and it's very humbling. I found raising children to be, and still do, obviously, even though they're young adults, it is so humbling. And I'm very appreciative of those lessons from. Oh, as am I. I mean, you've put it, there's no other way to put it. Yeah, it's been really interesting. Well, I'm really glad to hear, though, that another person thinks about that, the tone in their homes, because I do think that when I hear that mantra of, oh, kids will always fight or boys will always fight. And I've heard this, obviously, you know, raising three boys. This was a major thing I heard a lot. And it's so interesting. And I mean, I have to credit my ex-husband for this. And He was so strong about there is no law that says, you know, the older boy is going to beat up a younger boy. Like, that's just not a thing. And so he was really very cued into that. And when I can honestly say that my oldest son has never, ever laid a finger on his youngest brother ever, like, 
that to me is important and it's positive and people like that's so weird. And, but they just didn't, I mean, our children were not allowed to kind of be, you know, super vicious with each other, just under the name of siblings will be siblings. And it's been interesting to watch as they're young adults and as their relationships develop as adults. And I could not be more thrilled with how they treat each other now. And it makes me just happy that they look to each other for things. And I think that tone piece, it really does matter because I think kids can be really biting, you know, to each other and it can cause some real damage in families. Oh, I don't disagree. I mean, I I feel like I'm a little bit in the trenches and I don't know what the future holds, but (laughs) my goal is that, you know, that they will be a resource for each other. Totally. Uh, emotionally and professionally or however, just resources for each other as they get older, wherever their lives take them. But yeah, I mean, uh, and the, the, what I have seen is just their, their words can really cut. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you have to constantly remind them just like our words can cut. I'm not, I'm to be reminded often as well, but that, you know, a younger sibling, you know, five, you know, a sly, look at the eye and the tone and like five yeah. words can just cut like a knife. Oh, no, no. I mean, and it's, you got to, you got to jump on it because it's going to take a long time for them to, you know, and we're not perfect, uh, you know, Shay Heggy, but it's repetition, repetition. And you can't, right. you just can't do that. It's just not allowed. It is so interesting. I find as a parent and then also as a lawyer, to see how words and behaviors and these things can truly damage people. I mean, I've, I don't know. I just feel like it's been a lot of years of lessons of how impactful words can be in tone and just, I don't know. So I, I think I very much feel like in general kindness and civility and respect need to be such an important part of our work, both as moms But as lawyers and law firm owners and leading our teams as well, you know, not allowing that type of thing in a a work environment either. And it's been I don't know, it's a very big part of just what I am and who I feel about, you know, how I feel about how things should be. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we look at our world. I sometimes think kindness is definitely a little bit lost currently. Yeah, it just sometimes takes long absences from rooms and you're like, why can't it's, and it's a little bit harder to get it back. But I mean, I do, I do believe that it, it can be there and it will be there. And more often than not, it is because I'll always the, the things where the tone is just not right or a little cutting or the words weren't chosen with, you know, better care that are more memorable, right. That are seared into your mind. I think it's there. I think most people want it to be there. It's just teaching it as, it's hard and you've got to be, you've got to be vigilant about it because it's so easy to just not correct it or to let it go or say, you know, I'll get it the next time. It really is. And I think you're so right when sometimes, you know, not correcting it is a thing because, you know, we feel bad or I don't know. I know for me, like, I feel like I'm nagging. I mean, I actually said something to my, one of my young adult children the other day, we had children here and somebody said something and I was like, whoa, that sounded really harsh. And it kind of took them back because, you know, here I am correcting, you know, a a mid 20 year old person on, but I mean, you know, they're my own child. So like, I can say that to them in some ways, but it was interesting, but I thought, you know, I wonder if other people aren't saying that (laughs) 
you know, like, and you do want it to be correct because I think it's so easy for people to overlook tone. I think tone is just with the speed of our lives and the hustle of things. I think people often get really caught up in a negative tone, super accidentally and unintentionally. Yeah. And that's harder to walk back when that happens. So you just even, I mean, even if it's with a good morning or a, you know, just try and and just start it at a neutral, doesn't have to be, you know, all sunshine and happy, but just at a neutral, right. Good afternoon. Good morning. You know, just kind of take it from zero so we can get it back somewhere. You can walk it back from if it's, if, if the tone or the, the, the words aren't, don't match them, match the moment. Well, and that's something I think as a mother of older children, like if I could, you know, think of the thing I would want to know if I was a young mom, I mean, that is something that would be something important is, you know, really paying attention to that and not losing the basics, you know, the please and the thank yous and the, you know, I appreciate this, you know, just some of the basic things that I think we lose and we kind of don't expect in our own families, you know, we just provide dinners, but, you know, people aren't necessarily like saying, thanks for cooking tonight, or, you know, that was a good dinner. I appreciated that. Or, you know, just some, and, but I think those kinds of things are good to be thought about, taught, and, and they need to be all directions. I'm not at all saying children should only be thanking. I mean, parents need to be thanking and acknowledging when children are doing things and they're, you know, making steps in the right direction, or, I mean, just all kinds of things, you know, just, we can find appreciation and gratitude for. And so as a young mom, I wish I had thought about this more intentionally. I mean, it kind of came on as I was getting to be an older mom, but it's something that I think really can set a tone for a family that can be really impactful. Yeah. I I would agree with you, Elise. I mean, they see everything. You definitely have to remind us of that. Is that all? Oh my gosh, that is so true. I have to tell you, I mean, my horrible, this is my horrible mom moment. When I dropped off kiddo number six at college just recently, literally the thing that I was most excited about was, I'm like, I can just be bad all the time and nobody's going to be watching me. (laughs) I was like, I don't have to clean up the kitchen to the degree. I don't have to pick up everything. Like I feel like I've done for the last, you know, 20 something years. And it's so funny, but it's so true how much modeling we do as parents and as leaders in a law firm. I mean, I think the same is true where you're just being watched all the time and it's an awesome responsibility. And I think that, you know, I know for me, that's been a thing. Like if you look in my closet now, it's messier. My kitchen is definitely a little messier because I know that I'm going to go and put the dish away, you know, later that day, but I wouldn't have left it there when my children were younger. Do you know what I mean? I would have followed the process and gotten it in the dishwasher or unloaded the dishwasher if that was what was needed. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, it's every day, every hour. Oh yeah. And you are in the thick of it right now. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm, you know, very blessed to have right. children and, and a partner and John, but yeah, I mean, it's an awesome responsibility and, and one that, you know, I take pretty, I take seriously and try to do my best. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect by any stretch. Oh gosh. 
But then that gives you an opportunity to point out your lack of perfection, which I think right. is helpful as well. No, agreed. You know? Agreed. Agreed. I mean, uh, all the I'm sorry conversations I've had to have through the years of things I've done wrong. And those I think have been as powerful as watching me do some things right, you know, but Agreed. letting them know how we're falling down. I mean, what do you think about learnings and having success through failure sometime? I mean, is that something you've experienced? Oh, yeah. I mean, Certainly. I will say to them, I think I had a conversation with someone yesterday. You know, I've learned a lot from things I've <laughs> failed. And when I failed it, you, you, you figure out, is this something that I really want? Because then you'll go back and tackle it with a, a renewed vigor to get, yeah. you know, to get it done or complete the assignment, whatever the task was. And I'm sure there's situations where I probably haven't modeled failure well. In fact, I know there are. I try not to demonstrate it in front of the children because it's just... Just makes it's just going to make more that I'm going to have to do to explain why I did what I did <laughs> and acted, you know, probably not correctly. But I think there's a lot of power in, in, in failure and the children have to learn that failure is OK and that they're going to be able the sun is going to come up tomorrow yep. and you're going to be fine. Yep. We're going to support you. I mean, and I say to my kids, you know, there's nothing you can do that will make me love you less so you don't have to lie to me. If there's a problem, come to us. We're going to help you. But we can't help you if we don't know. And honesty is at the foundation of all of that. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, I mean, we try to, you know, it's going to happen that I'd rather have them learn how to fail or experience it, I guess, now, because absolutely, you know, life is going to hopefully for them be a marathon and a jungle gym, you know, ups and downs, sideways, backwards. And if you have experienced failure, even if small, I think that's a learning experience and something on which to build and draw upon when the next failure comes. I agree. I just think failure is life's greatest gift of teaching moments. I mean, I love, I I just think failure, it's a beautiful way to learn and create resilience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how I kind of gotten to the, well, no, just means no for right now. It's not that every no is a failure. It's, it's, it's not. And, or it might feel like failure initially, but you just have to, you know, kind of change the lens a bit and give it a, a different perspective. Absolutely. I have so loved being able to talk to you today. And I really appreciate you spending your time and sharing your time with us on this podcast today. And I hope you enjoyed the rest of your week and your boys have a great year with both their football and their swimming. Well, thank you, Elise, for allowing me the opportunity to speak to you and and your audience. I want to commend you and your team for creating this platform for women who are lawyers, raising families, and those of us who have put the entrepreneur hat on and are running a firm or, you know, managing a firm either alone or with, you know, a management team. It's it's really useful. It's I've enjoyed to listening to almost every episode and and just want to thank you for creating this platform. Oh, well, I'm so glad you've enjoyed it. And I love it. And I just think that we women who are doing all this, it's a pretty amazing group of humans. I I just every week am kind of mind blown what people are doing and how they're doing it. And so I really, really do appreciate your time. And I can't wait to be able to talk to you again sometime. Thanks, Elise. I share the sentiment. Okay. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.